Habits and Health, Episode 27. Welcome to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to the podcast where we aim to give you ideas on different habits you can create that will improve your life in some way. And today's guest is Dr. Don Wood, PhD, who developed the TIPP method after spending years researching how atmospheric conditions affect our minds and impact our lives. He went back to school later in life to get his PhD in clinical counselling and psychology to learn how to heal his daughter's Crohn's disease and his wife's autoimmune disease. Quote, teaching people to live with, manage and cope with the daily stress doesn't fix the problem. The solution comes from understanding its source and providing a long-term permanent solution. Both his wife and daughter experienced childhood trauma and he saw how it affected their lives. We're going to talk a lot more about some of this in the uh, in the episode. He's spoken on these topics domestically in the US, internationally. He's been a guest contributor on Joe Polish's I Love Marketing. He's been a speaker for Spartan Leadership, James Wedmore's Inner Circle, and many other speaking engagements, and has appeared on over 100 podcasts, including um, Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Radio, Spartan Up podcast, Unbeatable Mind, Brain Greenfield, and many others. So that's this week's guest, Dr. Don Wood. Hope you enjoy the show. Habits and health. My guest today is Dr. Don Wood. How are you, Don? I'm good. How are you, Tony? I'm pretty good, thank you. And good. We, find you, we find you today in Florida. In Orlando, Florida. Beautiful, sunny Orlando, Florida. Although we've and- had about a week of rain, so... But apart from that, it's been not a lot of rain, but rainy enough. If you want to talk about rain, I live in England. I know. That's true. <laughs> we really can't complain here. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we've just had the last few days have been nonstop rain. But, you know, that's we're kind of used to that. That's normal. So yeah, And it's not for us. Like we're used to sunshine. We have about 350 days of sunshine. So wow. very unusual for us to have clouds for that long. Right, so well, I think we're we're the week. inverse. We have about three hundred and fifty days of rain. So. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> yep. And we're in the and we're in a tropical area. We get our rain, but it generally doesn't last very long. It's maybe right. an hour, and especially in the summers. And so, Don, what is it you do? How do you how do you help people? Well, I developed a program, um, and we the company is called Inspired Performance Institute, and the program is called TIP T I P P, and it's mm-hmm. the Inspired Performance Program. And what I discovered was that people who have unresolved trauma, I believe that that unresolved trauma is creating inflammation in the body, which then compromises the immune system and compromises your neurotransmitters. Hmm. So then people are getting sicker because their immune system is compromised and they're feeling bad because their neurotransmitters are compromised. That's a combination of both physical and emotional issues. And so what I really did through my research is I came up with a way that we can resolve it. We can get that trauma resolved. When you resolve the trauma, then the person can stay present and in the moment. Because what I have found is that unresolved trauma keeps looping, keeps the system in an active fight or flight or freeze response. Mm. And we have to get that updated. So your brain is just like a computer. So really what we're going to do is reboot your computer. So what, what kind of people is it that you help? It's from all cross-sections, which is really interesting. I work with people who, you know, the obvious trauma survivors, like from the Boston Marathon bombing, the Vegas shooting, uh, veterans who have gone through, you know, suffering from post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. all the way to world-class athletes, uh, high-performing executives, people like that also are dealing with that. And that's interesting because a lot of times people think, well, they must be fine. Like, what could be possibly wrong with them? They've got everything. Hmm. You know, I had a lady come in whose husband is a professional athlete, and um, and yet she's struggling with a whole bunch of different, you know, issues that she's had since childhood. Hmm. But most people would look at her and be able to say, well, what could you possibly not be, you know, happy about? You know, you've got fame and fortune and everything going for you and and children. 
yet she was suffering not only emotionally, but also that had started to then create a whole bunch of physical issues for her as well. Well, and that just really proves you, none of us have any idea what's happening in other people's lives. It's very easy to make cast aspersions. Oh, it must be easy for them because of this, this or this, but we never really know, do we? No. And, and you see them, you know, they got the nice car, they got the nice home, you know, by every measurement that we would use for success, they, they hit all the markers, hmm. but that doesn't mean that they're happy. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they haven't had issues earlier in their life, that they've just managed to have some success in a particular field, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're enjoying life. Mm. So who is, is there a section of people or a type of person who is the most difficult to, to help? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I find that we can help most people. The only area that we do have a little bit of difficulty in is if people are heavily medicated. Right. So if they're on multiple medications, um, one of the things that is important for me to be able to do <clears throat> is get your mind to process information. Hmm. And when they're heavily medicated, they have you know, the purpose of the medication is basically to shut you down. Yeah. And when the brain shuts down that way, it's also harder for me right, to get them to be able to uh, get the information I need them to be able to absorb. Mm. So that would probably be about the only person. But like I said, I've worked with people who have told me that they didn't even want to come, that they don't think this can help, you know, all the way to the people that were saying, I know this is the answer, right? I've researched it and, and I know that you can help me. So I get it from every cross-section. So you mentioned about some people who were really skeptical when they came to see you. They didn't think it was going to work. Can you give us an example of someone who really was doubt, doubting it and you were able to help them and they had a different life afterwards, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I had a very successful business person um, and he crashed his plane uh, into a lake with his nine-year-old daughter. And so obviously he had a lot of physical injuries and, and fortunate he didn't go unconscious his daughter did but he was able to save her mm. um they rescued both of them but he was dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress as as well as his physical injuries she mm. was younger so she had some injuries and they seemed to think that she seemed to be okay psychologically mm. but he was struggling and um his pastor was actually who i knew was trying to get him to come and see me and one day I was actually downtown and he called me and said, will you drop by his office? He said, I'm still trying to convince him he needs to see you. Mm -hmm. He said, but I think if you talk to him, maybe he would do it. So I dropped by the office and he was still like, you know, listen, I don't think I need any of this. And, you know, I'm, I'm managing it. You know, it's more the physical pain. He says, you know, I have an emotional stuff. His assistant actually said to me, I need my daughter to come and see. She sat in on this. She goes, I think you could help her. So I actually did have her daughter come in. Anyway, he eventually, the pastor just sort of really bullied him into it and said, you need to go. And so he agreed. And so he came in. I, I do a basically a four-hour process. And uh, afterwards, I got a call the next day from the pastor who said to me that he talked to him. And he said that was the single greatest life-changing experience he ever had. Wow. So he went from being a total non-believer that it could help him to realizing how much he needed to get that trauma resolved. And how's he getting on now? Awesome. Um, physically, he still struggled for a little bit, but he they got a lot of that physical stuff also taken care of. Because I also believe that when we have um, our minds in a better place, it will do it'll do maintenance a lot better. Mm. Uh, that's why I always talk about it. I've always, I never had any trauma as a child and my nervous system was regulated pretty well, especially as a child. Um, and so that kept me healthy all my life. So when our nervous system is regulated, I believe that it does maintenance on a better level. Mm. So if you're in a constant fight or flight mode, your mind's not going to be doing maintenance mm. or minimal maintenance. So I think once we got him into a better place emotionally, he was able to start healing. So I say, when you change the way you feel, you'll change the way you heal. And and that all happened in four hours. Four hours, yeah. 
Um, like I said, I've worked with people who've had post-traumatic stress, you know, for years. Rebecca Gregory, she was three feet from the first bomb that went off at the Boston Marathon. She had post-traumatic stress for five and a half years. She lost her left leg from the bombing. And when she came in to see me, she said, I'll be honest with you. She says, this sounds too good to be true. But she says, I have nightmares every night. And uh, she says, I was, I'm desperate for an answer. And so she went through our program. You can watch her testimonial on our site. She just couldn't believe in four hours. She hasn't had a nightmare again. It's gone. And wow. just totally changed her life. And, and so is it, I mean, so your program, is it always four hours in every situation or is it, does it vary depending on the circumstances? It, it, it can vary. So most of the time it's four hours. So I've done it actually shorter. I've done it in three hours and I've done it in seven hours. Right. So it's just whatever it takes. Sometimes, you know, some people just need a little longer, want to talk a little bit more. You know, I sort of go, but my average is pretty much four hours. And is there cases where some people, I mean, you mentioned about the medication and people are heavily medicated, but if someone is really putting up resistance and block it, you know, trying to block it, would that make it more difficult or? No, because what I said is, it's really science. Right. And it's, I've just, what I've developed is a, a program that basically works with the subconscious survival brain. It communicates with that part of the brain, which is where the glitching and error messages are coming in from. And so I said, you know, you don't need to believe in science for science to work. It just works. So the mind has gotten stuck. And so as long as they, you know, work with me during those four hours, um, it works. It just works. And is this something that has to be done face to face or can it be done online? Yeah, we um I did most of them obviously in the beginning to develop the program face to face. And then I realized that I'm not scalable, so it's uh, it's going to be limited on how many people I can reach. So I developed a digital online version of that same 4-hour program. Hmm. And at at first people were skeptical whether it could work. And I, I always talk about my wife is my best fan and she even said, "Are you sure this is going to work? It's not you directly working with them." Hmm. But we've had amazing success from that. So hmm. people have really um they've loved it and it's and it's worked again because it's just taking them through the techniques and the and the protocol. And so where did this all come from? What, how did you get interested in this in the first place? Uh, like I talk about, I had this idyllic childhood, so I never really had any kinds of issues. or, uh, And I was just assuming that everybody lived my life. I assumed right. that all my friends had my parents and that their life was the same as my life. Because I never saw, you know, when our friends are growing up, a lot of times we don't know what's going on inside their homes. And so a lot of my friends were dealing with physical, emotional, sexual abuse that I was unaware of. Hmm. And it wasn't until I met my wife when I uh, was 18 that I saw a different world. And she was not living in the world I grew up in. She had a very angry father that just ruled the house with complete terror. And so she was living in fear. Always, all the children in that home were living in fear. And so I thought, well, when we get married we got married at 19, she's going to then move into my world and she'll be living in the environment I grew up in. So that's all going to change and that will help. Right. But it didn't. Hmm. And I couldn't understand why uh, until I really started doing the research. And I didn't really start doing the research until my daughter was diagnosed with Crohn's at 14. And when she was 14, they ended up uh, telling us that she has Crohn's and that she's going to just be living with this for the rest of her life. And then at 16, she disclosed to us some trauma that she had experienced when she was between the ages of six and eight that we were unaware of. And so she ended up having four resections done on um, where they had to go in and literally cut out pieces of her intestinal tract. Um, she also developed another autoimmune issue called idiopathic pulmonary hemosiderosis where the lungs just bleed. And so they said, you know, it's a rare condition, but she's got to be careful because she could literally just choke to death on her blood that within 15 minutes her lungs could fill up. So that's really where it was because of them, more my daughter, um, because my wife was high functioning. If you met her, you wouldn't have known. Same with, I didn't know my friends were dealing with this. If you had met my wife, you wouldn't have assumed that there was anything wrong. She's high functioning. Hmm. Um, 
but my daughter was an obvious what she was dealing with. And so what I discovered is that I believe that her health issues were the result of her unresolved trauma. Mm. And so I started looking at ways because everything that they had taught us up to that point was how to live and manage and cope with these things. Mm. You got anxiety, you've got depression, we're going to teach you to live and manage it. We're going to give you medication to to live and manage with it. Mm. And what I said is I just don't see that as an answer. We're going to, we'll lose our daughter. As my wife said, we'll lose her if, if we don't come up with an answer. And so that's what I did. And I, I came up with a way to get that trauma reset so that the mind was no longer looping through it in that high definition format, which is what I say creates the dysregulation of our nervous system. So since my daughter's gone through the program, she hasn't had a Crohn's flare up and she hasn't had a lung issue. So the only thing that correlates with that is the program and, and so how long ago did she go through this um about nine years ago so was she one of the first people to do it yep yep oh. her and my wife my wife first and and then her and then i started doing it with other people as well um so my daughter actually wasn't even the second one so i was really developing the program and then took her through it so she is probably more like seven years, I guess, that she's gone through the program and has not any issues. But the actual program itself, how did you, you know, was it a, a, a series of kind of experiments or theories? I mean, how did you actually put it all together in the first place? Yeah, it was really just, I spent a lot of time researching before I even tried to put the program together. Right. And to sort of lay out, here's what I really believe is why this works. Number one, the subconscious mind is survival-based and it's fully present all the time, just mm. like the animal mind. So it works similar to if you have any pets. Do you have, do you have a pet? No. Do you have any pets? But if you mm. had a pet, animals are 100% present all the time. Yeah. That's how their minds work. Yeah. So everything for an animal is happening now. 95% right. of our mind works just like that. It's survival-based, fully present. We have two very unique features that no other animal has. We have this frontal lobe, that ability to use reason and logic, our intellect, where we can figure out how to do something if we don't know how to do it. Mm. And so that's a brilliant part of our brain, but it's not in charge of survival. Mm -hmm. And it's only operating at about 5%. The second unique feature that we have is the ability to store billions of bits of information. So everything you've ever seen, heard, touched, or smelt in your lifetime has been recorded and stored in this explicit memory. Now, we have two memory systems. We also have what the animals have is that associative, repetitive, procedural memory that mm -hmm. we learn. That's how we learn how to ride a bike. You know, animals learn through repetition and association. We have that memory system as well. Mm -hmm. But it's the explicit memory system that's creating the interference. And... And here's why. Because if 95% of your minds operate in the present, just like the animal mind, and it recalls or looks at data from five years ago, when does it think the data is actually happening? Right now. Mm. So there is going to create a response to something that's not happening. It's a glitch. It's seeing that information from five or 10 or 20 years ago in real time. That keeps the system in an active response that's going to wear down physically you and it's also going to wear you down emotionally and that's what i was seeing does that make some sense it makes sense and i'm just wondering how you would combat that so the idea was is that once i realized that i believe the way the issue is coming in from is memory so I started studying a lot of different ways that they were trying to help and resolve trauma. So I studied a lot of different modalities. And I realized, for example, EMDR, which is a very good modality on how to help with traumatic events. Mm. But EMDR takes multiple sessions mm. and you have to deal a lot with the trauma. What I have figured out is a way to do that very quickly. So I can actually ask you to give me a two to three minute highlight reel of an event, an experience that you had. And in those two or three minutes, I can take you through a couple of techniques that takes the mind, the way it's looked at that information in high definition and actually reprocess it. It goes into a restorative mindset. And that's why I need the four hours. 
because I believe it takes about two hours for the mind to get into that state that it will actually start doing updates and restoration. So does that involve any kind of sort of like a hypnotic state or anything along those lines? Well, hypnosis is much deeper. So I know people have used hypnosis for trauma. I don't go anywhere near that deep. It's actually a very, it's just conversational like you and I are doing. What I found though, through the, the work that I've done, is that for the first hour and a half to two hours, I'm really just talking about the science and the education. Because when people understand, I start off right from the very beginning by saying there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with your mind. The reason why you're experiencing the things you just described to me, the anxiety, depression, panic attacks, is because your mind is looking at old data and creating responses, Right. Right. Of course, it's going to do that. It's designed to do that. Yeah. If it thinks there's a threat, it wants to protect you from the threat. Yeah. The glitch is because that information. So if you had a simple way to sort of explain it, if I asked you what you ate for dinner last night, can you tell me what you ate for dinner? Uh, I had some some vegetables and I think sardines and yeah, just a, a combination of many different vegetables and some sardines. So when I asked you that, you saw pictures, right, of what you ate. Yeah. The sardines, maybe where you were when you ate it, right? That's how you stored the information about dinner last mm. night. Yeah. Now, because it wasn't threatening or disturbing, it was stored as a fairly routine file. Not a lot of data, but enough data to store the information. Yeah. If that was a threatening event, all your senses are heightened, sight, smell, hearing. It's gone into a very high beta brainwave state, taking in tremendous amounts of detail about right. that event. Hmm. So what I say is it's storing it in high definition, high resolution. So when something activates your memory, somebody says something or you start trying to talk about an event that happened to you, you have to do exactly what you did when I asked you about what did you eat for dinner last night. Hmm. You have to go into that memory to start looking at the information. Hmm. That activates your nervous system. And then you start feeling the emotions and the purpose of the emotion is your mind is actually calling for an action. The purpose of fear is to escape a threat, right? The purpose of anger is to attack a threat. So, you know, there's um, a lot of people, I can't remember the actual name for this. You'll know uh, a lot of people's memories are actually false, you know, so how we think something happened 20, 30 years ago, often that story isn't, isn't true. So does that make a difference whether they're actually misremembering something or does that make no difference? It doesn't really make a difference. So right. because is, if they think it's real, their mind's responding to it. Right. So either way, I can still get the mind to reset that. So what I do is when I take you through the process, in that two or three minutes, the mind is in that restorative mindset it can actually reprocess that data into the same format as to what you ate for dinner last night. It takes a lot of that intensity out of it. So then when I asked you to go back and then take a look at that information again, all of a sudden it doesn't feel there's no response. So I I worked with a U.S. Army sniper who had to shoot and kill a 12-year-old boy. And he was just sobbing before Mm. we started. He said, I just can't live like this anymore. I can't stop thinking about it every day. And by the time I was finished, he could give me a complete description of the event that day without crying and said to me, he says, how did you do that? And I says, I haven't done anything. I says, your mind for eight years has been trying to get you not to pull the trigger. It thought you were shooting the 12-year-old boy now when you were starting to look at that memory. And what do they do in traditional therapy? Let's talk about it. And so they keep reinforcing it. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you're looking for the fastest and most effective way to transform your energy and well-being, we invite you to join Tony for an upcoming Habits and Health workshop. This five-week group workshop will empower you with tools to disrupt unwanted habits and make positive changes easy. You'll enjoy sound asleep, better energy, less stress, and a happier mood. Workshops begin on the first week of every month, and you can sign up now at tonywinyard.com. Now, back to the show. One of the things that comes to mind when you were describing that is there was a period I got quite into the um, memory um, 
what's, what's it called? Kind of mem- memory athletes. They do these like memory palaces and where they're remembering huge chunks of information. It could be, you know, the sequence of a of a shuffled playing cards, and you're mm-hmm. you can remember the whole pack in say forty seconds or whatever the number might be, or you remember the first thousand digits of pi and all that sort of thing. And one of the, the ways that I know a memory palace works is you have to, everything that you're trying to remember has to be really vivid. If it's mundane in any way, the, the, the mind's not going to remember it. So it has to be like a massive purple cow, for example, or, or you know, like Seth Godin, Seth Godin talks about the purple cow. But yeah, it is, <laughs> everything has to be huge or in some way memorable. It's like when you, we often remember things about when we went on holiday because that was different from the norm. But if I asked the average person what they had for dinner four weeks ago, I have no chance. I haven't got a clue. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly what I was talking about is that when it becomes brighter and more intense, you took in more data. Right. And so because it's so intense, then that's when the mind – now, if you were calling playing cards, that's not going to be threatening. So chances are you're not going to get a kind of a response from a uh, fight or flight response. You're just right. going to be able to remember it because it is brighter and more intense. You took in more data. Right. If that was a threatening event, though, your mind would be responding to it because it's designed to keep you alive. So it would then go into a survival threat. Right. And that would be different. It's, it sounds fascinating. And it, I mean, one, one of the things that is really amazing is how quick it's able you're able to to do this so it sounds like with with everyone it's just one session and then one session yeah very very rare do i have to have somebody come back sometimes the memory um so for example they've had some really big traumatic memories right we get those resolved and then something that had no association with any of those kinds of threats right now that was way down that was not really brought up very often may pop up and it didn't get a connection to that uh, but what we also do is we have them also go through um, a series of audios that they listen to for 30 days after the four-hour session, right. and that's to reinforce the session. So generally, it picks up other things that maybe didn't get picked up right away. That's sort of the idea behind it. So, I mean, you, you mentioned that this works for trauma. So would this also work for phobias? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, again, a, a phobia is coming from a memory. Right. So they experienced something. So I had a lady that she's, she was actually, I was in a group with people and I was talking about this and I was demonstrating it with some people. And she says, well, I have a fear of snakes. And she says, would this help me with the fear of snakes? So I, I brought her up. I took her through the technique and she was able to get over her phobia of snakes. Wow. Yeah. Because again, what's happening is, is that the mind is going into the memory of that snake and seeing it in real time. Yeah. So it thinks the snake is about to attack you, yeah. right? Or whatever it is, the snake could hurt you. So yeah. if your mind thinks that there's a threat, doesn't it make sense that it would respond to it? And, and one of the things that's coming to mind now is there was a about ten years ago there was a very famous football player in in England. He was a, he was a Dutch football player named Dennis Bergkamp, and he was one of the best players in the world. And he had a phobia of flying, and so whenever his team were playing in various countries in Europe, he would never get on a plane and go to those countries. If he was able to go by train to the country, he would go, but he would never fly. And this guy was being paid millions of pounds. And so you would right. think that he would, if it could have been that, if it could have been treated, you think that, you know, he would have got it treated, but for whatever reason. He may not, may not have known, you know, what to do, or maybe he just didn't meet the right people. But yeah. I've, I've seen, you know, a number of those kinds of things. I had a lady who came in. She had had really bad sexual abuse as a child. And um, we only were, I only work on about three events. Um, sometimes I'll be two, sometimes four, but generally three is my average. Mm-hmm. So we finished three different events that she'd experienced. And again, just a couple minutes on each one. She says to me, she said, well, we're going to be here all night because I have a lot of these. I said, well, we don't need to do any more. I said, once we now got this process started, your brain now takes this process and we'll start applying it. So when you go to sleep at night, you go into a theta brainwave uh, mm. state. And in theta, your mind processes. Mm. So it's going to process what it learned here today and process it to any other event. 
Mm. And she says, even events we haven't talked about. And I says, correct. And she says, okay. So I met her at a store just by chance about a month later. And she came up to me and she says, I got to share something with you. She said, there was no question that those three events that we did, right, we cleared. She says, I went home and for the first time, I was able to talk to my husband about them without crying. She said, I was able to share that. She said, I've never been able to do that. So she says, 100%, I was sold that it worked. She says, but I'll be honest with you. When you told me my mind would clear the other ones, she goes, I didn't believe you. Hmm. She says, but I was at Universal Studios with my daughter and my husband, and I was riding on the escalator, going up the escalator, and I was looking over the railing. And my daughter said, mom, look at what you're doing. She says, I never told you I had a fear of heights, and it's gone. We never even discussed it. So she says, that's when I realized that it had to be doing it for everything else. Because if we didn't even discuss that event Mm. or discuss anything about that fear, whatever event created that fear also got updated in that process. A lot of trauma can show up in many different ways for, for different people. So if someone's maybe listening to this, and they maybe have some sort of health issues, but they they might not know what is the cause of those issues. Mm-hmm. Is and that could often the cause could be something traumatic that happened to them many years ago. Would that be worth someone investigating with someone like yourself? If someone's got an issue and they don't know what it is that's causing it, sure. Because a lot of times we don't. Um, that's what, the second book that I wrote. I called emotional concussions, just for that reason. Because obviously, big T trauma is obvious. You know, if we know there's a a big event, right, that created trauma, those are obvious. But there's also what I called emotional concussions. And that's when we get bumped. You know, maybe as a child, a teacher that told you you were stupid, you know, or a parent who constantly criticized you, right? Mm -hmm. You just never felt like you measured up. Right. It could it come from a single event or a series of events because children don't have enough life experience to interpret the world they're living in. So I have a great example of a lady. She said to me, I've never had any trauma. I had a very good childhood. Everything seems to be fine. And um, so I said, can you think about any kind of an event that would be disturbing, like that would have been upsetting if you think back to it? And she had to really think about it. She says, okay. She says, I, I have one. She says, I was about six years old. And she says, I was in church with my family. And I can see her eyes starting to water as she's going over this memory. Mm. And she says, and I started to talk. And and then I see the tears coming. And she says, and my grandmother took the brush, her hairbrush, and she hit me on the head and said, stop talking. You're in church. And she said, and then the waterworks came. She started to sob. And she says, I just realized I lost my voice that day. I never stick up for myself. Everybody, you know, can push me around. She goes, I just realized that's when I lost my voice. That had never occurred to her that why she never would be assertive or stand up for herself. And that really got, because a six-year-old was told, we don't want to hear you. Hmm. Now, it's hard to believe that something like that can do that. Was her grandmother intentionally trying to do that or try to hurt her? Absolutely not. Right. So even with the best of intentions, a parent can say something that they don't don't realize that their child misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. My, My wife was another good example. She told me about a story. This is before the program. I remember her telling me this story. She said that she was, when she was about the same age, about six, and she's now living in a traumatic household on top of this, but some of the mothers in the neighborhood had a little tea party for the girl, for the girls in the neighborhood. So her grandmother dressed her up really pretty in a nice little dress with her hair, and she went to the tea party, and the mothers who were sitting in the front when she came walking in, one of the mothers said, oh, look at this one. She's going to be a real heartbreaker when she grows up. And the other women were saying, oh, yeah, that's a real heartbreaker there. Now, they're trying to say something positive for her. Mm. What my wife heard is that they see that I'm a bad person. Right. She was crying. She says she went home. Her stomach was sick. She just left. She, when she got a chance, she just got out of there and left. Because in her mind, yeah. they saw something. 
Mm. right? And she's already living in that kind of a world where she wasn't feeling good about herself because no. of what she was living in. And now she's realizing these women saw it too. Mm. Amazing, right? Yeah. And and something that comes to mind as well is I'm wondering now about things like imposter syndrome, whether the root of that could be based in something traumatic or like some of the examples you just gave. They do. That's where it comes from. Again, it can come down to, you know, somebody told you that you're not really good enough, right? And then you end up making it in the field, in a field, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, well, people are going to eventually figure me out. They're going to realize that I'm not good enough, right? I'm not smart enough. That imposter syndrome can show up. It can show up in multiple ways too. I had a lady who had had really bad sexual abuse again as a child, and she was a um, a coach for women. She held retreats and she says, I never share my abuse. She goes, I feel like an imposter. Mm. She says, I feel like I'm a fake. Like here are all these women that I'm counseling and coaching. And she says, but if I tried to share what happened, you know, in my childhood, she says, I'd break down. Mm. She says, I couldn't do it. So I avoid it. But she says, but it makes me feel like I'm fake. Right. Um, anyway, the good news is after she went to the program, I, I saw her about three months later and she told me about a retreat. She says, I, she says, I'd love to share this with you. She says, I was at a retreat I was holding and I, she says, I was about 15 minutes into this one particular event that I was holding. And she says, and I realized I just shared some of my childhood trauma. I didn't even realize I had done it. It right. was almost like, oh my God, look what I just did. Right. And she says, that made me a better coach. And what about if if someone has something like imposter syndrome, but they don't, they're completely unaware of, of what was the cause of an incident? Would you be able to help in that situation? Yeah, because we just go back to another event or something that had happened earlier. Like I said, once we sometimes, we may pick it up, right. but even if we don't pick it up, if we pick up other types of events that right. could have maybe not had anything to do with being the imposter, like the lady who had the fear of heights. We didn't talk about that one, but yeah. when we worked on other ones, our 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 brains, our minds, and our bodies are designed to heal. Hmm. All I'm doing is helping take the blocks out of the healing process. Hmm. So as soon as we get those blocks out of the way, the mind starts the restorative process, and it's designed to do that. Hmm. You mentioned about the your second book. So tell me about your – well, have you just got two books? How many books do you have? Yeah, two books. I'm working on the third book. Okay. The third book is actually my wife and I together um, really talking about just what we were sharing about how with parents. The kinds of words, the way you're raising your child and, – and I'm, I'm not saying that I got it right all the time either because I certainly mm – -hmm. you know. Our, our children lived in a very good home, right? But there was some things along the way that when I look back on now, now knowing what we do with our program, I certainly would have changed the way I would have done that had I known that information. Yeah. So we're going to write a book on that, just sort of talking about the things that you should be aware of as a parent with the best of intentions right. on how you can then create an emotional concussion without even knowing you're doing it. So that's what the book is going to be on, is how to communicate, how to talk, that kind of um, of a book. My first book was called You Must Be Out of Your Mind. And that was, um, I wrote that basically to talk about the program and how I developed it. We've got to get you out of your mind. And, right? and it was sort of a funny title. When was that book? How long ago was that? Um, I think I wrote that about four, five years ago. And then the second emotional concussions came out about two years ago. And this one, uh, I probably will have out by the end of the year. I don't have a title for it yet, but it'll be more almost like it's the manual that you wanted when your child was born that you never right. got. <laughs> so if someone's listening to this and, and liking what you're saying, what would they get from those two books that you've released so far? What, what would the, how would the first one help them or how would the second one help them? Uh, the first one would help them understand the program and because a lot of times people will read that book and say, oh, that was me. When you talk about your wife and you talk about your daughter and I tell stories in there about different people, hmm. you know, and what they experienced and how we helped them. It's right. people see themselves in those, you know, 
those people, just like a, a regular book would, right? So mm-hmm. we, we identify with the characters in the book. So mm-hmm. that's really why that book is really good. The second book is really dealing more with the kinds of things that developed because of those things. So mm-hmm. are you the kind of person who procrastinates all the time? Mm-hmm. If you do, there's a reason why you procrastinate. That's coming from an experience. Or maybe you're the kind of person that blames everybody when something goes wrong. And that's coming again from an emotional concussion somewhere earlier in your life that maybe you got criticized all the time. So I give 10 examples of 10 kinds of emotional concussions that and the symptoms of them right. and where those could occur from. Fascinating. And, so, and then the third one is going to be aimed more, more at parents and sort of along those sorts of lines. Yep. How, you know, like I said, what children are actually hearing and mm. what, how they're experiencing the world. Right. And so, and what you could do to improve the way that you raise your child. So just little tips. And again, right. it just comes down to sometimes those little simple things, right? That you may not have thought about or our anger gets the better of us. And, and so we can say the wrong thing or we use terminology that we're used to. Um, you know, an example of, a, I had a lady who would, was so angry at her stepfather because when she was six years old, her father wanted to meet her and never met her. So the stepfather said something to her about, he wants to meet you. But what she heard him say was that you were a mistake. And she had a terrible relationship with her stepfather. Even though her, her um, brother and sister loved him, she never had a very good relationship and it came back to that event. Right. So as a six-year-old, that's what she heard. Hmm. Now, was he trying to say that? No, hmm. right? But there's a phrase that he used, right? That a child who's six hears, you think I'm a mistake, right? Just like my wife heard, you know, you're going to break people's hearts. You're a bad hmm. person. You're going to hurt people. That's what they hear. So. Right. Be very, very careful on the words. And again, they're not China dolls, but at the same time, right? If you're at least aware of it, Mm. you know, and if you do, one of the things I write in the book, if you find that you did something like that, right, sit down and talk to them about it and say, you know Mm. what? I probably didn't choose the best words in this situation or I let my frustration, you know, get the better of me, right? And that doesn't mean that that was right, you know, so I want to take the time to address that with you now, Mm. right? That is huge for children. And somebody asked me one time if there was one thing that I would tell a parent, what was the most important thing for a parent? And I said, make your home safe. I grew up in a safe home. So if something happened to me during the day at school or wherever, whenever I came home, my home was the sanctuary and my nervous system would regulate. And so when you say safe, what does I mean? Some people might not understand what what you mean by that. So yeah. So what I mean by safe is the place where there's no screaming and yelling. There's no constant berating. Right. You've got a chance as a parent if you don't channel that anger or channel because a lot of times they're coming in with their own emotional concussions and traumas right. as a parent trying to raise their child. Hmm. So if they don't address that and get that taken care of they're going to just pass on some of those, you know, damages to their child. So be aware of them. And so what I mean by safe is safe doesn't mean perfect. Hmm. Safe means is that, you know, we're going to get things wrong. And that's what I said is I know even as a parent, I think we did a pretty good job, Mm -hmm. but we could have done some things a little bit better. Had I known this program, I definitely would have done things a little differently. Hmm. For example, a great example was, I was of the belief that as long as my kids got good grades in school, I didn't care if they if they worked or did all the chores and everything. My wife was a real taskmaster that way. She wanted them to develop that discipline. I was more the easygoing, yeah, hey, listen, you know, they're doing good in school, they got good grades, they're doing well in sports. Let's not, you know, go too far. That was a, I t- I made that mistake. Right. They should have had more responsibility. Right. So Again, just comes from experience. Yeah, yeah. We we mentioned about your your books just just now, and one of the questions I ask most of my guests is there 
a book that has really moved you for for whatever reason yeah it was the the book that i remember reading was uh from dr gabor matei uh the realm of the hungry ghosts Mm. and in that book that was really what i sort of said was accurate about what i was seeing in terms of trauma Hmm. So he worked a lot with the addiction community, um, a lot with the, you know, very, very poor people in a very poor part of the, of the city. So he saw all the pain hmm. and that's what he talked about is he said 100% of the um, street workers, the prostitutes in that area had all been sexually abused. Hmm. They all had drug addiction issues. They all had come from, very, very harsh um, conditions as a child and a lot of sexual abuse. That's really, like I said, really made me understand that what I was doing was right on. And so that you see that the extreme level at the, ter- in the conditions he was working in, but you also see it at the very high functioning level. So the CEOs, the executives, the moms, the dads, right? They're having the same issues. They just don't see it. He saw it at the worst. But it, like I said, when you met my wife, you had never understood that she had had that kind of abuse as a child. When he gave himself as example with the CD collection. Yes. And And he couldn't stop himself. You know, he would, he would actually duck out you know, from appointments to go buy something at a store, right? Yeah, he couldn't stop it. himself, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah, fascinating. And again, there's a guy, well-educated, you know, brilliant mind, and yet he's stuck in this loop. Hmm. And that's Did, what I said is that's what I really figured out that we can fix. Hmm. Did you read his book called Hold On To Your Kids? No, no, I didn't read that. Because as you were talking about your book that you're writing now, it made me think about that book. Hold on to your kids. It, that I think you might enjoy that book. I should. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll, I'll definitely read that. And it is all about, as the as the name suggests, it is about why so many parents go through an issue where, at a certain age, you know, usually in the teenage years, there's a real disconnection between the parent and the child, and why that so often happens. It's a fascinating book. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I'm addressing in ours too is, for example, one of the reasons that happens is that children never get um, any really independence, especially when they're younger. Hmm. So some of the things that I'm suggesting that would be a good thing to do is say you're going to go out to dinner or you're going to go to, you know, you're doing some sort of an event that you're going to go out and you want them to wear something nice. What do we typically do? Put on that, right? Right. And so the child has no choice. They say, but I don't like that. Well, it doesn't matter. Put it on. Wouldn't it be better to lay out three outfits and say, which outfit would you like to wear today? It takes them out of, I have to wear this to, I get a choice. They're going to wear one of the three things you like anyway, right? Why not make them feel like they've got some control? Because that stops a lot of that fight for that independence when they become those teenagers, yeah. They've never had the ability to have any control, so then they really want it, you're, and they'll go out of the way book. to get it. Because he talks about that kind of thing as well in the book. Yeah, you, I think you'll enjoy you enjoy that book. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd like to read that. But it's that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, same kind of thing when you want to get their homework done. So, you know, have you ever read the Marshmallow Test? You read that mm-hmm. book? Well, and, and that's been updated, isn't it? Recently, the, the results. It? I haven't heard that. Has it? Yeah, there was. There's something called the re reproducibility project uh-huh. where they've done re tried to reproduce many famous exper- experiments from the last few decades and they found that the marshmallow test wasn't reproducible in different situations and different circumstances with different types of people and cultures and, and so on well that would make sense i'd agree with that yeah mm-hmm. But, you know, based on, on the average, I think the idea was to sort of say, you know, people do, I, you know, I know you asked about a quote. I, I can't say I know exactly what the quote was, but the, it was about Walt Disney. He says, if you give people the chance to reach up, they will. Right. So he, he always tried to raise the bar so that they wanted to reach up for something. Hmm. And so I think the same kind of thing, if you give people the opportunity to challenge themselves or to, or to reach up to, to improve themselves, I think they will rise to that occasion. Mm. But again, you could see in some, you could do that same thing in a different situation. They've just been so beaten down, they can't do it. 
if people, I mean, I'm sure there's a number of listeners at the moment are saying, are probably screaming out, Tony, just ask the guy how we can find out about this course because it sounds amazing. <laughs> so if people do want to find out more about this, where, where should they go? Uh, yeah, if you go to www.getgettip.com, and then if you write slash habits, I think for your listeners, we were doing a special promotion for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll get a, uh, I think a, I think a chapter in the book of emotional concussions. They can download that. So and get at least a little bit of an idea on, on what we do. And, uh, but I think they also get a, um, a discount off of the either online program or the one-on-one personal program with me. Oh, thank you for that. Okay. So I, well, so that will obviously be, that link will be in the show notes as well. And is there, are you active on social media at all? Yeah. So we have, I have a LinkedIn page. I have Facebook. Uh, we have our, our inspired performance Institute. So you can also go to that. Um, and so I've got Dr. Donwood PhD. So you can go to that and we have a lot of our stuff up there. I encourage you to check out the testimonials because that's one thing that people say is they'll see a testimonial from somebody that relates to what they've experienced. Like I said, we've got such a cross section, you know, from moms to athletes to CEOs, um, you know, all across the board of people who had life changing experiences after going through the program. Well, to finish, Don, I normally ask about the quote, but you've given a quote just now. So okay. I, I'm it wasn't instead, verbatim, but it was close. <laughs> instead, I'm going to ask you, what what is it that you're most passionate about? Do you have something like music or theatre? or what, what is it that really gets your emotions going? Sports. I love sports. I've been an athlete all my life. And um, so hockey was my main sport. I'm originally from Canada. That's how I got married at 19. My, I was offered a chance to play professional hockey in Sweden, so we got married very young. Um, so, But now, living in Florida, I'm a golfer, so I'm very passionate about golf. So, But sports in particular, but golf right now is my big sport. Well, Don, it's been a, a real pleasure speaking to you for the last, what, what 50 minutes away, so thank you for your time. Wow, time flew. <laughs> that, very good. That's a good time, yeah. It does. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Tony. And uh, like I said, hopefully somebody is resonating with somebody. And the good news is, is that there is help out there. You don't have to live and manage and cope with it. You can actually help you fix it. Yeah, and I, I certainly hope someone listening, you know, they are, do get some help from this. So thank you. Great. Thank you. Next week, episode 28 with Joe Uff. And she is an NLP master practitioner and coach who is passionate about the importance of psychological well-being and dedicates her time to working with women and empowering them to strengthen a positive mindset and well-being. And through coaching, Joe helps them to work towards the outcomes they want to achieve or overcome challenges that they're facing in different aspects of their personal and professional lives. So that's next week, episode eight with Joe Uff. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show and wishing you a great week ahead. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.